Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. Hello, good morning, good morning to you. Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are and you hear the sound of my voice, I bring you greetings from the summertime in North Carolina. I hope you are having a fantastic day. However, I have someone who is my guest for today who, as you all know, I always think my guests are fantastic. They always bring their best self here and they bring information that allows us to become the best self that we can through all kinds of things. But right now we're in the middle of a dynamic change. And because of that change, there is so much loss, loss of loved ones, change of jobs. You know, we were all together. Now we're not. You used to co-locate with people and build relationships with them. And then now you may be 100% virtual and you may not see that person again, except over Zoom, which really is, does not replace the, this, the warmth and the comfort of having a human being in the same place as we are. We often try to minimize our feelings around this. But my next guest really wants us to know that especially during this time of coming back to work, of high change, of loss because of COVID and the COVID deaths, and then people who just died because it was their time, that grief is the elephant in the room. We all know about it, yet we refuse to talk about it. And if we do choose to talk about it, it is extremely difficult because for most of us, we don't do crying, we don't do vulnerability, and for darn sure, we do not show that we have any levels of weakness. And because of that, it impacts our lives, it impacts our jobs, it impacts the revenue. Just a few statistics on this. A study from 2008, 2003, excuse me, showed that about $100 billion was lost in revenue, $225 billion lost because of absenteeism. One in five people. Americans are going to suffer loss and grief. And yet that doesn't seem possible because at some point, 100% of us will experience it, will experience what grief is about. And yet, where do you go? What do you do? And how do we create workplaces where we can bring our full self to here and that we know we get the right support that will help us on our journey through life? Well, my guest is an expert in grief. I know that's probably not what he'd want to know, but as I looked at his background, he really has spent a lot, a lot of his life helping other people get through the process of grief and helping executives become educated on what the many faces of grief is and HR people to help figure out how to create places where when there is a loss, when there's change, and that change requires us to change and lose something, lose a part of us, what do we do and how do we build belonging? He, Kevin Ringstaff 
is the CEO and founder of Grieving at Work. He currently lives in San Francisco, where he is actively building and growing a community, a place where anyone in any, any, at any time can come together and learn about the process of grief and how to support themselves or loved ones through the pain and anguish we go through. It's not always about death, folks. It is about losing a way of life, and we will find ourselves feeling angry and hurt and tired because what we thought was the way we were going to live our life out suddenly changes, and change is all about us. So with that, let me welcome Kevin. Hi, I'm so glad. I'm so glad to be on here today. Thank you. I think it is really timely as, you know, we are opening up. It's summertime, which is kind of nice. But we're also opening, reopening our country and people are starting to go back to work. And, you know, when you look at the newspapers, when you read the, you know, the, when you listen to the radio, when you, you know, kind of scroll on your handheld, all we're seeing is that changes abound and people are pretty fearful about whether they go back, whether they don't, whether they mask up, whether they don't mask up. How do you talk to people who are on different sides of the opinion of, what do we do? Some people like myself and my community, African-American community, you know, I can count up almost 40 people who were lost, friends, family due to COVID. And I don't know that I've had a chance to grieve about that because we've not have funerals. We've not had ways in which we could connect with family. Certainly I work virtual, have always worked virtual. And so my community has shifted on me and I'm looking to rebuild my community. And I don't think I'm alone. I think that there are, you know, a whole lot of folks who just choose not to look at it or are struggling with it because they are looking at it and trying to figure out how to reestablish their life. So Kevin, today we're going to talk about, first of all, I think there's some misconceptions about what grief is. Can you give us kind of grief 101? I would love to. You know, I was listening to you talk just now and all that loss that you've had and how we just haven't had the chance to grieve any of it yet. And, you know, this, all of this loss, all of this death that's happened, you know, it's going to affect us. It is affecting us. And I think that we are, we're at a unique point in our history where every single person in this country and probably the world is on the same page of grief. We are all grieving something like this past year or so has just fundamentally altered so much of our lives in permanent ways. And this isn't like, like you said, this isn't just death. This is, this is so many other types of losses too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They all compound, they all build up and they all weigh down on us. Yes. So give us a bit of a breakdown on what grief is. Okay. Well, grief is just, you know, grief is just dealing with the sudden change of your like just hopes, dreams, and expectations, mm -hmm. right? We can grieve just about any change that happens, even good things that happen. Like when we get a promotion at work, we don't get to associate with all of our colleagues the same way that we used to anymore. That's and while true. it's a while it's a very good thing that a promotion, you know, it's good for our careers and advancement and all of that. We're still having a little bit of loss too because of that change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so there's good things in the change, as you said, getting a promotion, but I've worked with and coached many exec, many folks who have moved into that, executives in particular, 
who suddenly wake up and say, you know, everybody's treating me differently, but I'm still the same person. And so that yeah. identity, that ability to relate to people suddenly goes away and they, they don't know how to be with other individuals anymore. Yeah. Yeah. We have to suddenly learn something new. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a very, uh, that's a loss of identity. Mm-hmm. And we've had m- much of that this past year. You know, that's also a loss of community. Mm-hmm. I'm sure all of us have experienced that during yeah. the isolation of this past year. Yeah. Yeah. And what that what that means to us and our heavy hearts. So it, it also makes me wonder, not just what grief, this kind of loss thing is, but the, the way people express it or don't express it mm-hmm. seems to be so different. Tell us a little bit about the range of it, particularly, you know, is it the same for everyone? Is it does it change based on gender, geography, you know, race, all, ethnicity? All, all of it matters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all of it matters. Like we, like we talk about how we talk about grief in this society in the United States is very different than how we talk about it in, in the rest of the world. Like in the U.S. in particular, we're a little bit more closed off about grief, about vulnerability about displaying sadness mm-hmm. like we a lot of people think it's some sort of a, like a weakness mm-hmm. men especially run into this problem you know we, you were talking about you know the, the like different forms of grief that we have and men in in particular hide grief because we're culturally taught that growing up that is the american way and i don't i know it's partly men but I think if you go into corporate or workplaces, you know, we're still recovering addicts from the leave your personality at the door. Mm-hmm. You know, when you come to work. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Mm-hmm. Face it the way, you know, face it like a man, you yeah. know, that kind of um, exactly belief systems that come in there. But culturally, there's different things that people can do. And now talk talk a little bit about you know when religious overtones come and and well let's let's talk about how we uh, learn about grief okay like we learn about grief from watching our parents mm-hmm. you know how they grieve and they learned it from watching their parents and so forth and not all of that's correct but that's how we learn it mm-hmm. and so if our parents like if if our moms and dads never displayed grief in front of us if they held it all in if they tried to be strong not display any of that. That's internally what we do. You know, we don't, as a result, we don't do that growing up mm-hmm. because we we're taught, Hey, if we're, if we're feeling sad, this is what we do. We push mm-hmm. it down. We pretend it's not there. We try to move on. Mm-hmm. And that's just in our, our families going out to, you know, we also have our faith traditions around grief and we we also have our societal and the, the way society teaches us to grieve. And all of this compounds on us and it changes and it impacts you know, how we deal with loss. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, given how we learn about it and then we have to come together in this kind of sterile environment, sterile thinking around it. What's something that, you know, why should a manager care? I mean, we, we've stated some statistics at the beginning, $100 billion in lost revenue, $225 billion in absenteeism, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, those are huge numbers, but for the most part, managers don't feel those numbers. Why should they care? Well, they should care because, well, you know, aside from all those numbers, they should care because, well, we care about our employees, Mm -hmm. ideally, right? 
Like we care about the people that we're managing, that we're responsible for. We don't want to see people sad. Most people don't. And when when we see that, like our, our first response is to like go up and try to fix it. And you, you can't fix it. Yeah, the advice <laughs> mo- yeah, the advice monster starts <laughs> kicking in, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me tell you, I had a time when. <laughs> yeah. And you know, like we can't outsource grief either. Mm-hmm. We we can do things like EAP counseling, we can do all the all the positive things that we should do going yeah. through grief, but yeah. that grief is still going to be with that employee when they come back into work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if as a manager, if you're not aware of that, it could impact all the work, all the culture around you too, how everybody else deals with deals with that employee. Mm-hmm. You know, that employee who's grieving could make mistakes because one of the Telltale signs of grief, and practically everyone who's had a traumatic loss can identify with this is, you know, we have brain fog. Mm. Our minds are somewhere else. I often say that grief takes an enormous amount of energy, like mental energy Mm. and like, and and physical energy too, because we're, we're wounded. Yeah. We're thinking about it all the time. Even, even if not consciously, then subconsciously, it's always in the back of our minds. And the, it's or the there. impact of it too, yeah. you know, the the absence of that person, yeah. the, those that way of doing, that habit mm-hmm. of being with that person. Yeah, like even like uh, little changes in the in in the workplace too. Mm-hmm. I talk a lot about compassion fatigue and the healthcare environment, which the healthcare environment is radically changed yeah. in the past. And like for instance, you know, I was talking with a group of nurses who the the whole the the way that they do their job has changed mm-hmm. they can't provide the care that they want to anymore mm-hmm. they can't when when you see you know other families who can't come in there and say goodbye to their loved ones as they're dying and it's the nurse's job to do that you know the, the nurse takes that home you know that that impacts us yeah and there's many studies that talk about you know i call it the kick the dog syndrome right or i don't call it but it's been called that where you have a bad day of work, your boss screams at, you know, an employee, employee, you know, screams at a peer. By the time they get home, they are, you know, screaming at their kids, their spouse, or significant mm-hmm. other. And ultimately the dog walks in and they kick the dog because it just kind of has this downhill effect when we don't deal with our emotions in general, which is, I mean, there are hundreds of, of studies around emotional intelligence. And when we are stuffers, what that does and yeah. that sooner or later you know i i often say you know emotions are like holding jello in the summertime you, you know the tighter you squeeze the more it just finds a way to come out and I it comes that. out in the most un, unexpected places right uh-huh. <laughs> i love um, that analogy <laughs> i mean it's you. disgusting and everything yeah yeah i mean but that that's kind of how it is and it's very uncontrolled but yeah. when you open your hand to, you know, to try to see it and deal with it and watch it wiggle. And then it, it doesn't leave as much of a residue. And it certainly doesn't have unintended consequences yeah. um, because of it. You know, I like, I, lo- I love the analogy of talking about the pressure of grief. Like imagine a tea kettle, you know, mm-hmm. the, the one that whistles when the mm-hmm. water's ready and you just mm-hmm. put it on the stove. Mm-hmm. Right. And when, when we're holding in grief, when we're pretending it's not there being strong, it's like putting a cork in that. Mm-hmm. And though the heat's still on, that pressure's still building, it's building and building and building. 
And that cork at some point is gonna come out. Like this grief is gonna blow over just like that jello analogy. It's gonna spill over into any everything around us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the stuffing with the force of the steam, mm-hmm. it really comes out. Yeah. You know, so both analogies allow us to see how different people might experience grief and how to deal with grief, particularly if they try to bottle it up or they try to um, ignore it Mm -hmm. and think it'll go away, but it doesn't go away, does it? No, it doesn't. Like the loss is always there. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've noticed that when you have an employee who's grieving toward the end of the day, it's going to be a little bit worse for them. Because, you know, during the day, you know, an employee is distracted, they're, they're working, they're focused, they can get mm-hmm. through a day most mm-hmm. of the time. But like, at the end of the day, you're going home, you're, you're facing that loss, you don't want to go home anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what that's like, you know, like being in the silence, alone with your grief. Mm-hmm. And for many employees now, especially the ones who are still working from home, right, you might be 100% alone. Mm-hmm with no one else around you. And that's very new. Yeah. Yeah. That's something that we haven't experienced as a culture yet. Yeah. And even like when we, as we start going back to work, all of that is still going to be there. That's, that's damage. That damage is there. We have not dealt with this grief yet. Mm -hmm. We haven't even talked about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like we're still just doing disaster recovery. Yeah. We haven't addressed this grief at all. We haven't addressed, you know, the, the, what, a half million Americans who have died. Yes. They say that for every person who dies, they leave nine people who grieve them. Mm. So that's four and a half million people. Yeah. Alone from that process. From death alone. Yeah. And in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. And in the workplace, I know that, you know, for a while we were, there's some companies who use employees like, you know, the balance, the balance sheet for them. And they really consider them as assets to be mm-hmm. dealt with. And so we often think the people who are most lucky are the ones who don't have to come to work, but those people who feel, who have survivor's remorse, mm-hmm. we never really mm-hmm. talk to them about that. Yeah. They have that fear of being let go too. Yeah. They have that grief of going in there. If you're still going into the office or whatever, if, mm-hmm. you know, seeing an empty cubicle where your friend used to be that you had lunch on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that impacts, you know, how we feel about our employers, about our management, it impacts how hard we're going to work for you. And I, and the interesting thing about it is, is when I was in the workplace, many of the people, many, I think much of it could have been changed if we actually talked about it. Yes. If we actually found a way to help people really understand this, you know, this idea of feedback. It's really more important than just being a protection mechanism for a company. Mm-hmm. It really is about humanity and people need answers. They need closure. And mm-hmm. so when we don't talk about layoffs and, and terminations and we don't have a way in which we can talk about it and bring the humanity into it, I think it does leave a, a kind of a black residue, a cloud over it. And in particular, yes. when... You know, you come in on Friday and you get your pink slip because the company didn't make its earnings. Mm-hmm. And uh, then there's nothing there for you. And the only place you can go is go home. I think to many times that, you know, that's bottling up. And that's probably one of the things I didn't see in your, your website is the cost of that kind of bottling up and not releasing on the healthcare system mm-hmm. and how much it hurts physically. 
physically hurts us. So there are lots of reasons why to, you know, there are a lot of effects from this whole process. I know that you have an online class that people Mm -hmm. can begin to take, particularly managers that helps them address grief and Mm -hmm. support and feel and understand how to properly support a grieving employee or a grieving team out of this. Can you give us some idea of what happens in it and why did you choose online? Well, so it's an online video course and Mm -hmm. I chose online because it's, you know, it's, you you do it at your own pace, whatever Mm -hmm. that is for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you could see all the modules are right there. And it it basically, I call it grief 101. Mm -hmm. And it just teaches us that grief happens, what it is, what to say, what not to say. Okay. (laughs) There are a whole bunch of things we we shouldn't say. Yeah. Like what? And that, you know, every single person that is is going to grieve at some point and it's Mm -hmm. normal and natural. What you mentioned some, there are things that we shouldn't say. Mm -hmm. In my book, I talk about insensitive questions. Mm -hmm. What, what are some (laughs) questions that people or, or comments that people shouldn't say? Yeah. When, when we hear about a loss, the first thing that, if, if I were to tell you I had a loss, the first thing that you're wanting to do is what? Try to say what something to make yeah. you feel better. Yeah, yeah. Trying to fill the space. Yeah. And fill that space with everything that we've been told our whole lives mm-hmm. from our parents, from the community, from our faith traditions, and things like it'll get better in time. You know, like, you know, they're in a better place now. Mm-hmm. You know, at least they don't suffer anymore. Or in the case of the work, you're the lucky one. You still have a job. Yes. Yeah. 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 At least you still have a job. Mm -hmm. Right. But all all of this that we are saying, we we're saying it for our our own personal insecurities on grief. Mm -hmm. We can't we can't sit in that silence with them and say, I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's not about the, you know, like going back to like death, it's not about them. They might be in a better place. That might be intellectually, factually true, whatever. Mm but we're still here. That person Mm -hmm. is grieving, right? We are not in a good place. Yeah. And that is what we need to directly address. Mm -hmm. You know, talk Mm -hmm. to that. You know, everything else is just, you know, filling the space with meaningless platitudes that really don't help. And and like at best, they really don't help. And at worst, they can straight up ostracize you. In the place. Mm -hmm. What would we do if, if we had a magic wand? And kind of knowing that support, we, we know that support and feeling supported is the underpinning of belonging. And many companies are trying to have company, you know, cultures where it's diversity, inclusion, and belonging. And I think belonging is far bigger than diversity and equity out of it. It really is trying to create a culture where whoever you are, whatever you bring to work, you feel valued. You feel like your contribution is relevant and that you're capable of being being your yourself, whatever that means, the highs, the lows, and know that people aren't judging you for as less than mm-hmm. because you brought yourself into this place. If if companies are really looking to do that, then clearly understanding how to support people through a loss, whatever that means to them, is important. But what would be some cultural attributes, some ways of us being together 
procedures, and I'm not talking about policies or, you know, you get three days off or something like that, but really, how do we be with each other in these times and still help people feel supported? The best thing that we can do is just to let it be okay. Mm -hmm. Let grief be okay. You know, I have, if you heard the, the expression, laugh and the world laughs with you, Mm -hmm. cry and you cry alone. Mm -hmm. You know, I always like to say if like, how ridiculous would it be if every time we laughed, we had to get up and leave a room because Mm -hmm. we didn't want to make everyone else happy. Yeah, that's a good one. If we're crying and we're sad, you know, sadness can exist right next to happiness. An employee who's sad can exist right next to one who is happy and work just fine together. Mm-hmm. You know, sadness is just an emotion. Mm-hmm. So the idea is really focus on to be able to embrace and to help people feel supported, to create mm-hmm. employment or cultures with inclusion and belonging. Then it really is about bringing your emotions to work and allowing them to be okay. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, exactly. You know, when like we can do little things like just allow for a little break during the day. Mm-hmm. We can have, you know, any any other employee can go go up to somebody and offer support. Mm-hmm. And the thing about this, and you know what how it helps so much in your culture is once you start helping your employees who have lost and you know they see how much support you've given them you know, they then become ambassadors in your company for everyone else going forward who had mm-hmm. a loss because mm-hmm. they know what to do. They've mm-hmm. been supported. And, you know, we, we can have little support groups in the company itself. Right. Have that be okay too. Right. And that doesn't cost you anything, but a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. And if we learned something from COVID and quarantine, we should have learned that we don't have to have eyeballs on everybody. Mm-hmm. That managing people isn't about eyeballs, but it is about having clearly articulated, this is what results look like, this is what it should do when it's done, Mm -hmm. and this is what it's being used for so that we can move forward in the business of business in there. And so if they continue to hold on to that, then the idea of even being seen kind of isn't as important Mm -hmm. in moments when I I need time off, I need to take a break, I need to go get a walk. I need some water just to compose myself. And as employees, if we feel empowered enough to be like, I'm sad, can I take 15 minutes and have it not impact my career? Mm -hmm. You're more likely to take that time off, Mm -hmm. just that little bit and come Mm -hmm. back and be way more productive for the rest of the day Mm -hmm. and just sit there and hold it in and pretend it doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as I think about it, you know, there are always those times where, you know, we're full human beings, we have multifaceted lives, and the arc of our life can be very long. And, you know, now we're moving into a place where more and more people are winding winding up being caregivers. Mm -hmm. And as a caregiver myself, but also working in that community as a volunteer, one of the things I find is interesting is for caregivers, there's not a place where they can show up at work and people understand because it's it's a unique experience. Mm-hmm. It really it is. is a unique experience. It is. You know, I have some fun stats on caregivers and that they are more, more likely to, to develop health conditions themselves mm. because we don't like take care of ourselves because we're mm-hmm. so focused on giving care. Mm-hmm. We're so busy with that, with our jobs, with everything else we have to do. 
and caring for someone else, we neglect our own self-care. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. This has and been unless a- you've like gone through that, you're like unless you've been a caregiver, no one, then you're just like ignorant to that. Yeah. And and the services tend to be pretty disjointed. There's not a good place to go and find it. So you're working a lot of overtime trying to get things done, you know, right? One of the things I was talking to an executive team and they were, you know, we were just kind of kicking it back and forth on the concept of how do we how do we help employees, particularly those who are tied to being frontline employees. They have to be on the phone because they're customer service. They have to, they're retail, you know, those kinds of things. And I explained to them that one of the things that they probably don't pay attention to, because they got somebody who can do it, is that just to get electricity turned on or off or fix a bill can often take 30 to 45 minutes. And over your shoulder, you're trying to do all of this while you're on hold, because you're on hold, and you got employees who are looking at you, asking you all kinds of questions, and you want to hide it from your boss because you know your boss is going to know that you're not working, whatever that means. And so the pressure of being a caregiver can be tremendous just trying to live in, in, in an organization or a job that requires you to be on point all the time out of it. And, that, and there's not a lot of support or places where people can talk about that or find relief. And I bring that up because I wanted to know from an HR point of view, if you had to tell HR one or two things. I'm not asking for a litany. It could be, it literally could be one thing. If they did this, it would be of <laughs> tremendous value. What would it be? If they could do one thing? Yeah. Acknowledge it. Acknowledge the elephant that's in the room. Mm-hmm. Acknowledge that grief is there and let it be okay to be there. Mm-hmm. That's tough. It is. It's, it's, you know, it's easy to say that, but it's really hard to, you know, as a manager to have an employee in front of you who's breaking down and to hold that space, mm-hmm. you know, that is, that's hard. Mm-hmm. And, but it's not impossible. You know, it's, it's, it's easy, but it's, but it's, you know, it's easy to say, but it's really hard to do. Should we have something for managers? I mean, how do we train managers to be able to hold that space? Because for the most part, every message they get is you have to be, you have to have the answers. You, you know, mm-hmm. that's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And, and to see someone else in pain, causes you to be in pain. Yeah, because we start thinking about our own losses, mm-hmm. you know, how grief has affected us. And you, it goes back to that whole societal thing too. You know, if, if, if we're not used to grief being okay, you know, it's a foreign concept to us. We want to push it down. We want to immediately say something to stop them from crying, to get them right back up and running just like it hasn't happened. And I think it would be really good to have it be okay for them not to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and find a way for that. Mm-hmm. I agree. You, know, you well, were talking about uh, caregivers too. And, you know, any, any employ employer who with, you know, a thousand or more employees probably has at least 20 people in that category. Oh, it's and more than, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, way more than makes a, like a huge support network. Yeah. And, you know, employees can help share the load. Yeah. If, if you need to make a call and you have someone in your support network, be like, hey, can you man the phones for me for a moment? Right. Can you help with this one client today while I go do this? And if you just share that load, you know, within your own company, mm-hmm. you know, the work's getting done. We're, we're able to take care of ourselves and everything we need to do. Mm-hmm. And it's still not costing you any money. Mm-hmm. 
In fact, it probably is saving you some from retention issues and I can be much more focused on trying to get things done. Exactly. And and just the camaraderie and the teamwork and the ability to be able to speak up and say anything, knowing that I'm not going to be judged as incapable and incompetent if I if I share an idea that maybe everybody doesn't buy into. You know, that camaraderie is something that we should highlight just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Is being able to feel supported going through that matters so much more because so many people just don't have someone in their life to talk to. And if you have someone at work for that, you're not going to leave that employer What for a little bit more money somewhere else. I'm like, no, no, you have your network. You mm-hmm. have people who have seen you cry, who mm-hmm. you've hugged, who you've helped through. And that matters a lot. That's a, that is impactful. I have to find a way to talk about that because many managers um, and executives that I work with are like, no, we have to stay. I don't want to have to deal with that. I'm fortunate that I do have a lot of good managers who are trying to struggle with it, but mm-hmm. the answers are not easy for us, any of us. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, as a, as a manager, though, like it's not our job to be a grief counselor. Mm-hmm. Like holding space is, what, 10 minutes? Maybe 10 minutes in a one-to-one session a week with your employee. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, how are you doing? And just listen for 10 minutes. And that's yeah. it. Good idea. Good idea. Well, we've come to the end of our, our chat here. I'm so delighted. I hope you have. It was such a pleasure coming here and talking and just sharing about this with you. Thank Good. you so much for having me on. No worries. And so if people want to learn more about it or they want to sign up for your online video course, how do they do that? Just go to my website, uh, grievingatwork.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Spelled just like it sounds. Mm-hmm. And all that information is there. And you can look me up at LinkedIn, you know, at Kevin Ringstaff. Good. Um, all over the place. I'm pretty easy to find. And the good side is, is that you'll talk to anybody who wants to talk about this subject and exactly. help educate them and the employees and the HR department so that mm-hmm. we can take one more step towards creating a, a place where everybody feels like they belong through the journey of their life. And with that, folks, you've heard another, you've you've been on board with another chapter of Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I so appreciate you being here. And with that, see ya. Hey, that's a wrap. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for listening to this podcast. Please leave comments below. I'd love to know what you're thinking. If you liked it, share it. If you didn't like it, share it, because I guarantee it's going to start a conversation that will help you close the gap. I want to thank the C-Suite Radio Network for hosting my podcast. It is the largest network dedicated to the growth and development of leaders worldwide. I'd also like to thank Ivan G. Hall for the music that you are currently enjoying. Hey, check him out. He's really a great musician. And finally, I have two other requests. One is, please, 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 leave a review on this, either on Apple or Google, wherever you get your podcast. And the other is, don't forget, please look up my book, Remarkable Leadership Lessons, Change Results, One Conversation at a Time. It's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble in paperback, as well as Kindle versions. And with that, it's a wrap. Talk to you next week. Bye.